This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Cha! This is Brian Dupont, creator of Take Spill, and you're listening to the Chew It and Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 193 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 14th. Folks, my singing voice is back. Let's all celebrate. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not wondering why the highest rated film of 2014, Selma, is enough for more Academy Awards, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not raising my fist for MLK Day and calling out the old white racist Brotherhood of Academy voters, I'm the black, bad, ironclad manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes, yes, y'all. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Star Wars, number one, and Conan and Red Sonja, number one. It's an all-1980s revisited show. Yeah, yeah. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than Spike Lee, Luke Cage, and Black Goliath can start a full-on riot during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're returning to our hushed voices and arcane magics. While we talk about two of next week's comics, and finally, the comic pushers are back, and Joe Patrick has no excuse not to rap this week. So, let's start some fires, let's take to the streets, let's celebrate the fact that my voice is back, and let's talk about this week's big news! Can't do that with laryngitis. No. Image Comics has launched a new mail-order subscription service called Image Direct. Image Direct allows subscribing readers to receive the latest issues of over 35 titles, including The Walking Dead, Saga, Sex Criminals, Witches, Black Science, <laughs> Velvet, Rat Queens, and more, immediately upon release. Subscribers will receive discounts of up to 30% off, with a 35% discount offered to the brave souls that subscribe to every title. Wow. In a press release from Image, publisher Eric Stevenson said, quote, Even with all the wonderful work our retail partners in the direct market do, the number one comment we get from fans is they frequently can't find the Image titles they're looking for. Given that there are fewer comic book stores than ever, we're hoping that Image Direct makes our titles available to fans who don't have easy access to a local comic book store or whose shop doesn't carry the full range of Image titles, end quote. Now, I never had comic subscriptions as a kid, but I can't imagine a hardcore collector being okay with a mail carrier manhandling their comics. Do you think this is a good idea, Matt Bomb? I did have a subscription as a kid, and I loved it. I loved going to the mailbox and finding my X-Men books and stuff like that. They were never in good condition. No, never. <laughs> yeah, they never because, were. Because and, mail carriers don't give a Yeah, and I don't think this is for those kind of hardcore collectors. It's for the 10-year-old boy that just can't wait to get his hands on the next issue of Bitch Planet? <laughs> yes, or Bomb Queen, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Although I wonder if they workshopped the name uh, Up Your Butt Diamond for this mail service <laughs> at all. <laughs> this, I, I'm like, I'm curious what you think as like a retailer. Okay, yes. You know, like, do you see this as a shot across the bow? or No, like, no, 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 no. Uh, like... Because you know some do. You know, this is all... Sure. I can think of... I can think of one one in particular. (laughs) I know that this is all spin and everything, but I do appreciate Eric Stevenson is often talking about how important 
uh, the direct market is to what Image does. Yeah, and he cares. He's and a smart guy. So while I can see how some retailers might instinctively kind of tense up at this idea, there have been subscriptions forever. Yeah, this is nothing new. And are you really going to lose a slew of customers that are willing to get thrashed copies of their comics in the right. mail to get a discount? Probably not. And the other side of this is... He's right. There's a lot of shops that can't afford to order stacks of every image number yeah, one that totally. come out, and you don't know which ones are going to be hot. And, you, you're calling your shot. And you know we're spoiled in Omaha, but it's true. There are a lot of people, a lot of comic readers out there that just don't have comic shops yeah. anywhere near them. We hear from people every day in cities where we're like, really? There's Columbus, Ohio doesn't have a comic shop? Like, seriously? Does Columbus, Ohio... I really don't know. I'm just citing one. <laughs> but we were shocked when it's always like, that's a pretty good-sized town. I can't believe that. Right. We are very spoiled here, and it's easy to lose sight of that. And then, on the other hand, I can't fault Image for no saying, hey, we have this product, and we have the means to get it directly into the hands of the readers. Yeah, man. And so it's a good thing for them. I think the biggest question here is how big will this be? That's what I'm curious about. I don't see it being huge. No, I don't either. And, you know, if Image makes some, a little bit of scratch off of it, then that's good for them. Good. And if it puts more comics in someone's hands that they couldn't get before. Absolutely. Also good. Good thing. But the idea that readers will leave comic shops in droves just to get their Image comics a little cheaper, I just don't see it happening. Something to note is that unlike digital which is what I think is the current solution for people that don't have access to a comic shop. Yeah. These books will be cheaper. And 30% is cheaper than what even like real big comic shops give people for oh, well, sure. discounts in their pull files. Yeah, so absolutely. That's a pretty steep discount. That's almost a retailer discount. Well, I mean, retailer discount is usually at, in at some least cases. half, but yeah. smaller shops, they might only have, they might only get it like a 40% discount. I think it so. starts at 35 or something like that and goes up from there. It depends, on the, it depends on the publisher. It's, it's not important, but it's interesting that they're doing this at such a deep discount. Yeah. But I mean, that's what you can do when you have no middleman. I suppose. And it also shows they believe in it. Here's where I think that some direct market retailers can get a little bit concerned. How long before this kind of thing emboldens publishers to say, okay, our digital books are 30% off? Yeah. That's, that's a, I hadn't considered that. That's other, a real other than to keep retailers happy, there is literally no reason why digital comics are as expensive as regular comics. Nope. So we will see. But as far as the subscription thing goes, more power to them. If it gets the books in, in more hands, that's great. And not every book image publishes is available. So maybe it's going to drive people to retailers. Who knows? Right on. Marvel Comics has announced a new promotion called True Believers, a line of $1 reprints of some of the publisher's most popular stories launching in April. The first wave of titles will include the first issues of Infinity Gauntlet, Marvel Zombies, Age of Apocalypse, Civil War, Planet Hulk, House of M, Old Man Logan, Armor Wars, Miles Morales, Age of Ultron, and Powers. There's a TV show coming out. <laughs> oh, that's right. I thought it was a video game TV show. Anyway, in Marvel's press release, Senior VP of Sales and Marketing David Gabriel said, quote, These are some of the most popular stories in recent memory. We're proud to bring them to fans in a new format that would allow them to sample some of Marvel's best and brightest gems. Each of these issues are the perfect place to start for fans 
Curious about Miles Morales. The Age of Apocalypse, yada, yada, yada. You get it. Joe. Spot on David Gabriel Yeah, impression. that was great, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think of these $1 reprints? Are they a good way to hook new readers, or are they just copying Dark Horse? Oh, never, all the publishers do it. Um, well, not all, but... Dark Horse has been doing this for a while. Image does it. Yeah, they do Image Firsts. That's right. Dark Horse? Yeah, they do the itty-bitty whatever reprints. They're, like that. They're all a dollar. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think cheap reprints of popular first issues is a smart idea yeah and, and lots of can, publishers do it retailers can get them for nothing too that's yeah. the real bonus yeah i mean we a lot of times we'll give image first away for free that's you what know, i'm saying if we're talking like if we're talking about saga for example you know and the person seems kind of interested but they're not real sure we'll say hey look just take this right here's a reprint of number one it's on the house why not get if a you like it come back for volume and one drop them in people's pull files that like hey it's yeah. free take it away see what you think Gateway drug. It's a yes. It's a <laughs> low cost way to get new books in the hands of readers, and I think it's good for retailers and for fans. Absolutely. And you know the thing, the difference here is that in a lot of cases, specifically with the Image Firsts and the Dark Horse books, those are current titles that are still running. I'm not really sure what good it is going to do to give somebody the first part of armor wars well think of it this way people talk about that as a very legendary iron man story and if you want to check it out you have to go drop 20 bucks on, on a, a trade yeah. on a trade paperback or you can see if you like it by spending a dollar or getting it for free yeah and going i do want to read that and then maybe you buy that trade paperback it's no coincidence that all of these titles are somehow involved in the upcoming secret wars thing so i don't know what marvel's if they have some sort of secret game plan going but well i mean marketing is marketing yeah right Uh, they're synergizing their paradigms nice (laughs) nicely done (laughs) yeah i think it's great it's a no lose scenario yeah i hope they do more and I think that this can be a good way to get people hooked on new books. I hope that when this promotion's over, they start doing it for current books, like yeah. a dollar reprint of Ms. Marvel number one. Yeah, books that need help. Or She-Hulk number one or whatever. Yeah, no doubt, which would have maybe saved that series. Yeah, you know? those that would be awesome to see. So I or hope that happens. make all your first issues a dollar, you jackasses. <laughs> Let's not get crazy. Brace yourself for the return of Golgoth, absolute ruler of the world. As Mark Wade and Barry Kitson's Empire returns to comics. Empire first debuted from Guerrilla Comics in 2000 and featured the story of a Dr. Doom-esque supervillain. I think it's Doomaskew. Doomaskew. <laughs> supervillain and his lieutenants who vanquished the world's superheroes and now struggle to maintain control. Empire actually made its comeback as a webcomic at Thrillbent.com, but the series will see print from IDW in April along with a new collected edition of the original series. The print version of Empire will be the first project in a partnership between IDW and Thrillbent, with a collection of Insufferable by Mark Wade and Peter Krause following in May. Now, Matt, I love Mark Wade. I love Barry Kitson. I loved Empire. Did you read the original series? I fucking loved Empire, man. And I read the Thrillbent series, too, online. It was totally rad, and I will still probably buy these in paper form. Oh, yeah. Empire was just awesome. And it it was sort of a superhero story turned completely on its head. 
It's what happens if Dr. Doom wins. Yeah, he took over, the heroes are gone, and now it's sort of a day-to-day management of his evil empire. Yeah. And things don't always go well. <laughs> and it's just great that you cannot root for the main character. Right. But you can't wait to read more about him. You right, know? right. He's just like the best bad guy. I totally. love it. And Barry Kitson, we talk all the time about how so much we love Barry good. Kitson. I'm so glad good. that I'm glad that this book is coming back. I am thrilled. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Everyone knows I'm a digital dummy, so I'm glad they're putting it out in paper form. Big boss man. Can you hear me when I call? That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe Patrick and I have vanquished all the heroes on the site and we're welcoming villains from around the globe. Bring the hate and let's talk some smack on the THN forums. so big. Well, you just told us all. Every Sunday, the iron-fisted despot Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes courtesy of Steven User. Steven User. This I hate, I hate that guy. Forum user <laughs> Steven Kohler. Oh, Kohler. I like him. Okay. Who writes, <laughs> what is your favorite comic character origin story? And then he specified... Even it's a, if it's a retcon. So Ooh. like, oh, okay. If much, much later they reveal something different about that character that makes it better for you. Like when we learned that Cyclops was actually a Cyclops. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. I'm still working on that one. I'm mm-hmm. kicking it around. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, January 23rd to get us your answer. You can call, leave a message with that answer using Skype. The Skype handles to it at nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, or send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under three minutes. You'll get cut off. You know who you are. And we'll hate you. We don't hate any well, of you. We, we hate, love all of you. We hate some except of you. Except you. Yeah, and you know who we're talking about. Yeah. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. You guys are good at that every week. To the to the degree that I wish that you would stop writing on the forums and call in instead. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yes and no. And this one, favorite origin story. Everybody has a favorite origin story. No excuse not to call this week. Come on, guys, girls, everybody, call us. Where did you come from? It's review time on THN, where Joe and I whip out our swords and hack two of this week's new comics to pieces. You thought it was going to make a dick, Joe? I sure did, Joe. Way to save it. What'd you review this week? You know, both of the, our books feature swords, if you really think about it. Uh, that's part of the joke. All right. See me working? I guess I do. This week, I am reviewing Star Wars number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron with art by John Cassidy and colors by Laura Martin. Yeah, I read the solicit, didn't yeah. I? You know the solicit. Come on. I read I read the solicit last week. Star Wars is back at Marvel after something like 3,000 years at Dark Horse. <laughs> I think that's right. Star Wars is back. It feels like it never left because really it didn't. Uh, this whole welcome home marketing shtick makes me feel kind of bad for Dark Horse, who did a tremendous job curating Star Wars for more than 20 years. But I can't deny that there's something about this relaunch in general and this first issue in particular that puts a charge in me that I haven't felt for the Star Wars franchise since I was a little kid. The series takes place just following the events of A New Hope, 
with Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, R2, and 3PO infiltrating an Empire weapons factory posing as envoys for Jabba the Hutt. Jason Aaron understands that everyone holding this comic knows the story of the original Star Wars films. He doesn't waste more time than he needs to reminding you who everyone is, and he has a great grasp of their personalities. Han is cocky and still unsure about his place in the Rebel Alliance. Leia is headstrong and willing to risk everything for the larger mission. Luke is still learning the ways of the Force, and C-3PO talks too much. Everything about the way Aaron paces the story, starting with the classic intro that had the John Williams fanfare blaring in my head. Yeah, that was awesome. Feels right. The art by John Cassidy and Laura Martin is breathtaking, but I wouldn't have expected anything less. These two have been working together ever since the early days of Planetary at Wildstorm, so they've had years to perfect their partnership. Cassidy is able to capture the likenesses of the principal cast without it being distracting, and he knows when to break away from it when it's necessary in a way that keeps the characters recognizable. Aaron and Cassidy deliver the thrills, excitement, and adventure that Star Wars is known for. When was the last time you lost yourself in a piece of fiction where you ultimately know how everything works out for the characters. Yeah, that's true. And I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's absolutely true. Like when you read a Superman miniseries, you know Superman's not going to die yeah. in the end. Like, <laughs> well, and more so with this one, because this takes place in the past. Right. And in between two very well-known movies. There are literally no stakes <laughs> yeah, pretty in much. this comic. And yet, and yet, I was just thrilled the entire time. That happened for me here. There were at least three moments in this issue that gave me genuine chills, and I can't remember the last time that happened to me while reading a comic book. If you're a lapsed Star Wars fan, or if you were hesitant about Marvel being able to pick up the torch from Dark Horse, come back. These creators are obviously producing a labor of love here, and it shows on every page. This is an absolute buy it. It's a, it's a huge buy it for me, too. I was talking with our mouthpiece and lawyer, Ryan Forrest, the other day, and we were talking about Brian Wood's Star Wars. We both enjoyed Brian Wood's Star Wars. And I didn't think about it until he brought it up. But it felt very much like Brian Wood's Star Wars. Like the characters spoke and acted like they were in a Brian Wood book. Not necessarily a Star Wars book. Not that it was bad. No, no. Is, the it, is it fair to say that because of dark horse having the license for so long and the sheer amount of star Wars material that they produced a month that even though this, that book had the classic characters and was set during that classic time period, they were so focused on telling a different story. I don't know. I honestly, I don't, that maybe it didn't feel, I can't speak to same. that. I, all I can tell you is it did feel like more quality. Brian Wood storytelling, but not necessarily the star Wars. I remember. Yeah. My point is here, from page one, this is so tone perfect. And, and you're absolutely right with the art. Cassidy, a lot of guys can get lost in trying to draw the actors. Yeah. And it just becomes this photo-referential bullshit. Cassidy never falls into this trap. Even as much as, as far as going with the coloring is so Star Wars here. Every panel was fantastic. Mm -hmm. My favorite is when Darth Vader shows up. I haven't given oh, a yeah. shit about Darth Vader in a comic book for I don't know how long he walks out of a ship here surrounded by stormtroopers and you immediately go oh shit, man that's in, Darth Vader yeah Imperial <laughs> Imperial March yeah it was just playing in your imagination perfect they absolutely nailed this and I hope they can continue to kill it with each issue loved it huge buy it Matt Bomb 
let's stay on this 80s thrill ride. Tell me about Conan, Red Sonia, number one. This one is from Dark Horse. It's written by Gail Simone and Jim Zub, who I think has officially changed his name at this point, with art by Dan Panosian. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Dark Horse and Dynamite's second crossover is here, and it features a team-up that sword and sorcery nerds will not be able to resist. The she-devil with a sword comes face-to-face with Conan the Sumerian. Not since Brigitte Nielsen rubbed muscles with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1985 Red Sonja movie, even though Arnold was supposed to be a character named Kalidor, he was still Conan to me. Have we seen a barbarian team-up this savage? Simone and Zubakavich show us an undercover Red Sonja getting close to a horny gamesman in charge of stocking the gladiatorial arena of Enshofer. I think that's how you say it. With big cats for dudes to slay. Sonia is, of course, playing it cool, using her feminine wiles to trick the horny gamesman into letting her into the castle where her real prize is hiding. A small chest she's been sent to steal. As it would happen, another thief is on the same job. And his name is Conan! Whereas Sonia uses her cunning, Conan quietly murders his way into the castle before meeting Sonia in the prince's bedchamber. And after murdering the whelp, the two escape with their prize. It's been quite some time since I remember seeing Panosian's name as a penciler, and I forgot how friggin' good this guy is. I remember loving his work at Image in the 90s. Back then, he was very much a member of the Jim Lee army of clone artists, but since then, his style has matured very well. Here is sketchy lines and deep perspective. Almost remind me of Prince Valiant's Hal Foster. If he came from more of an animation background, maybe. This is fantastic art that brings the fantasy world of these characters to life with a very classic 70s comic fantasy feel. The amazing colors of Dave Stewart didn't hurt a thing either. While I'm not sure who wrote the bulk of the story, Zub and Simone work seamlessly to give both of these characters distinct voices and personalities, and unlike a lot of forced team-ups, this one was handled very well. It doesn't look like it's going to devolve into some stupid love story. We didn't have to worry about the, oh, let's fight and then team up against a common enemy. Sonya's too smart to fall for fellow thief Conan, and the two know better than to trust each other in the first place. Their alliance is uneasy, just as it probably should be. This was another well-written and beautifully illustrated addition to the Dark Horse Conan line, and now that they've lost their Star Wars license, I would argue Conan is by far their strongest licensed property, giving this a buy it. I liked it too, and you guys know me. This is not the sort of thing that I normally gravitate to. Here we go, Joe Patrick. I'm not going to say, like no, I wasn't going to say anything like that. <laughs> but it is definitely fair to say that it's not It's not my go-to genre when I'm looking for something fun to read or watch. I can also say I wasn't expecting the Conan Red Sonja team up to be this good. Yeah. I just well, wasn't. Yes. Actually, I was kind of expecting to hate it. But I, I totally it, dug it, man. I was expecting it to be boring. Oh. You know? I just thought it was I thought it was a ton of fun. I I loved the interplay between Sonya and Conan. Yeah. Uh the art is awesome. I love Dan Panosian. And can I say I love the way they do Conan's word balloons. Yeah, I do too. All like weirdly jagged angular. Yeah, and the narration is all old-timey looking oh, script. Man. Now, it's cool. This one also doesn't fall into the trap of getting like extremely wordy like some of the Conan stuff can get at Dark Horse, this one, the pacing was fantastic. Never got bogged down. You know what I mean? Some of them, like I like the Conan the King series, 
but wow, is that a dense read. <laughs> well, can I also say that I really dig how all of the Conan books at Dark Horse have a little backup comic about Robert E. Howard? Oh, yeah. Like, the Adventures of Two-Gun Bob. Yeah, the life and times of Robert E. Howard. Yeah, I, they're just, I mean, they're tiny, like two-panel strips, but I just think it's neat. I think they're autobiographical, too. Oh, they they're, totally are. I mean, they're not fictional. They're, no. they're like... They're illustrated um, bits of quotes and, and things that he's written, journal entries and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, huge buy it. I totally dug it. So that is a double buy it for Star Wars number one and a double buy it for Conan Red Sonia number one. Yeah! As always, we want to know what you sword and lightsaber wielding scoundrels thought of these comics. Sword and laser sword. So put your blast shield down and let the force guide your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking on that damn forum button over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. This Monday is Martin Luther King Day, and to celebrate, Matt and I will be joining a protest march on the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, led by Spike Lee and Luke Cage, with Chuck D, Black Goliath, Misty Knight, the Reverend Al Sharpton, and Daryl McDaniels, and the Masked Vigilante DMC. I don't know how he's going to pull that off. And a veritable who's who of black heroes and activists, as we demand to know why Selma, a movie currently sitting at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. No shit. Who's the 1%? David Duke. Isn't nominated <laughs> for more Academy Awards. So join us by raising your fist and your voice while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Vampirella number 100 from Dynamite. Everyone's favorite bikini-clad vampire slash alien hits 100 issues of Dynamite and gets a supersized issue with five different short stories. Written by Tim Seeley, Eric Troutman, Brandon Jerwa, and two other people I didn't recognize. While I've never been a big fan of bad girl comics, Vampirilla stands apart from the others as a well-established, strong female character with rich history going all the way back to 1969. Dynamite has done a hell of a job keeping Vampy alive and giving her fans what they want and this 100th issue, no exception. This is the original bad girl done right. I am giving this a bite. For those of you keeping score at home, Matt Bomb has given Vampirella a buy it and the unbeatable Squirrel Girl a skim it. Look, I'm just saying I think this one was much harder to For write. For essentially the same reasons. More rules, and this one was way harder to write. Whatever! Fables, The Wolf Among Us, number one from DC Vertigo. This might be my own fault for misunderstanding the solicit, but I thought this was going to be a new story set during the time frame of the Telltale game. I thought it was new, too. It is not. It is a straight-up adaptation of the game, which I am only halfway through. Oh. So this will be my final issue for now. Okay. It's not bad, but it's hard to get interested in a story I just played through. Hopefully, they'll get to some original stories after this arc is over, but skim it for now. Adventure Time, Marceline, Gone Adrift, number one from Kaboom! Adventure Time editor Shannon Waters has done an amazing job creating a whole world of titles in Kaboom's Adventure Time stable, and this is another solid entry. Marceline is one of the most complex characters in the Adventure Time U. She's a young woman, a singer-songwriter, an over overly sensitive artist, hipster, and a vampire. Here we see her flying into another one of her misunderstood vampire rages after she can't get the lyrics to a new song right. And Princess Bubblegum is forced to make a Planet Hulk-like decision and launch her friend into space <laughs> where she can't hurt anyone. <laughs> Meredith Grand writes this pitch-perfect story. I met her. And Carrie Peach? Sure. All right. 
is another in what seems to be a line of artists that can just nail the feel of this cartoon that we all love. This is a huge buy it. Adventure Time is not just for kids. It's so good. I love it. They launch her into space. That's so awesome. Mortal Kombat X number one from DC. You were all over the video game adaptation. Yeah, not even on purpose. I've always thought that there wasn't really a story in Mortal Kombat. There isn't. Now I think there's too much story. (laughs) This book deviates from the main plot so much that it was literally impossible to follow. And unlike Ick's generation from last week, I'm not sure that being an expert on the subject matter will help you. Pretty cool art by Dexter Soy, but it doesn't save this just terribly muddled story. Leave it. Did they delve into Goro's origin at all? I was wondering where that jackass came from. So far, <laughs> there is no Goro appearance. Rat Queen's Braga special number one from Image. I haven't read any Rat Queen since we reviewed number one, but the series has developed a fiercely loyal fan base for its irreverent cast of fantasy bad girls that don't fit the mold of most lingerie-clad tramps infesting the comic shelves. Here, we get a flashback to Braga's youth, when she was still a dude, an orc named Brug. Brug never really fit into orc society for several reasons, and writer Curtis Weeby does a great job bringing real humanity what would otherwise be just another Dungeons & Dragons-inspired fantasy comic. Now, I don't know much about the character here, so I wasn't aware that Braga had some type of sex change in the regular series at some point. Maybe. I'm not even sure if the series has touched on when that happened or not. So I was a little confused and one thought bubble or narration panel would have solved that issue for dummies like me. Regardless, I think Weeby was trying to establish that Braga's sex change isn't necessarily the only thing that defines the character, and he did a great job doing so. I did find the coloring on Tess Fowler's art a little dark and muddy. And it was kind of... Yeah, it's... Everything was like... A little... had gray mixed in with it. Yeah, and it just made it look a little too soft and out of focus. But not bad. I get why people love this comic, but at times its brashness comes off as a little juvenile, if you ask me. Still, I'm giving it a strong skimmer. Boombox 2014 Mixtape One Shot from Boom. Is that a f***ing title? Missed, <laughs> they missed 2014 by this much. <laughs> I thought this was just going to be a normal extra-length anthology comic, but man, was I wrong. The Boombox Mixtape is an oversized almost graphic novel-like collection of some of the stories that you'll find under this Boom Studios imprint. Teen Dog, Lumberjanes, the upcoming Great Warrior series, all awesome. Even the shorter stories that may not be getting their own series are super fun. It's a little pricey, $9.99 for 48 pages, but it's a super slick production. I totally loved it. Buy it. It's going to be a hard one to push on people, unfortunately. But you know what? We were always saying how, like, anthologies all hit and miss. Yeah. This one, front to back, loved it. Cool. Green Lantern Corpse, number 38 from DC. I picked this one up because I love Jon Stewart, and after the events of the last big GL crossover, he is leading the core. I've been missing GL stories in my monthly pile as of late, and this was a pleasant surprise that might pull me back into DC's ring-slinging line. Van Jensen writes a story that reminded me of what I loved about some of my favorite GL core stories. And Bernard Chang is exactly the kind of artist I want drawing my space cop procedurals. This wasn't groundbreaking, and it still seems the GL books are stuck in a pattern of event after event after event. But 
it was a strong issue featuring one of my favorite lanterns and a couple of new ones I'd like to learn more about. I'm giving it a buy it. Bernard Chang, I love his so art. So good. But he sold me one of the worst convention sketches I <laughs> really? have ever purchased. <laughs> a story for another time. <laughs> S period, H period, I period, E period, L period, D period. That spells shield number two from Marvel. Wow. Humberto Ramos joins Mark Wade as the awkwardly adorable Simmons goes undercover at Ms. Marvel's high school as a substitute teacher. Okay, so this is like 21 not, Jump Street? Or not what? as a student. Okay. The stakes in this series seem super low, but it's charming, goofy adventure tying the characters from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into the larger Marvel universe. And has nothing to do with the unfinished S.H.I.E.L.D. series. <laughs> not one bit. And the geek off between Agent Coulson and Kamala is great. So far, I'm liking S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. Mark Wade, man. That's right. Rotating artists. I'm not sure how Mark, how long Mark Wade's going to be on it, but right now it's good. <laughs> Avengers 34.2 from Marvel. I have no idea why Avengers issue 34 needs points, but here we get a side story written by Sam Humphrey, so I really like, that's supposed to flesh out Nightmask and Starbrand two of Hickman's more mysterious Avengers. But instead of learning anything, we get a story of Starbrand facing off against a space god monster that's chosen to psychically attack a small town in Missouri in an attempt to slowly turn the Earth into a star. By lighting each person on fire one at a time? I guess? I don't know. <laughs> Someone should give this space god monster a lesson in astrophysics because the Earth is not quite big enough to become a star. This was a waste of time and money, and the star brand I got here was an unrecognizable loudmouth kid, while Nightmask served absolutely no purpose whatsoever. Do not waste your time here and leave it. Jupiter's Legacy, number five, from Image. Despite the fact that I can never remember if I've read the previous issue... I know. I just have to sit down and read the whole thing. I am really loving this series, which is a neat examination of what happens when godlike superheroes decide that they know better than the rest of the world. Sort of like the GOP. Yeah. The Frank Quietly art is sublime, and I'm a fan of the less cynical side of Mark Miller's writing. This issue brings the first act to a close, so check it out before the next chapter kicks off. Huge buy it. I am digging it. Cool. Ludicrous speed round and here's the sound of vampire babies getting captured by Venezuelan hunters. They may or I don't know if they're Venezuelan or not. No, they were South America. As seen in this week's Vampirella number 100 from Dynamite. I challenge you to find a better vampire baby impersonation on the internet. I challenge you. <laughs> the gauntlet has been dropped. Because Brian DuPont demanded it. We return to the hushed, whispering tones appropriate for the mystic secrets we investigate in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. This week, we're smoking a spliff laced with Wendigo hair and poring over our new D&D monster manual with our D&D monster expert, Monster Manuel. Joe, let's take a break from our investigation into the mating habits of the Shambling Mound and talk about what we're excited you to don't read next know. week. That's grosser than you think. <laughs> Next week, I'm excited for Galaxy I, Quest. I think we could do the rest of this in normal. Oh, I was totally going for a Zorak vibe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Next week, I'm excited for Galaxy Quest. The journey continues number one from IDW. Everyone should be excited for this. Written by Eric Burnham. That dude is pretty good, I hear. Illustrated by Nacho Arantz. 
Here's your solicit. Once upon a time, a troupe of has-been actors that starred on an old sci-fi show were enlisted by an alien race to save them from an intergalactic tyrant. Despite being way out of their depth, the cast somehow managed to save the aliens and stay alive, but their actions in outer space may have had dire consequences for another world. Join us this January as the cast of Galaxy Quest returns for another bombastic journey into space. No apologies. I fucking love Galaxy Quest. I love Quest. Galaxy Quest, too. It was great. And the Galaxy Quest comic they had a few years ago. It was fun. Super fun. Yeah, it was really fun. I'm really glad to have it come back, and I believe this is just like a direct sequel. Fair enough. I'm into it. Yeah. Matt Bomb, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is holy fuck number one from Action Lab slash Danger Zone, written by Nick Marino with art by Daniel Aruda Massa. Let it be known that while looking for my pick, I was wearing a t-shirt with the words, holy fuck, written on it. <laughs> I shit you not. True story. Here's your solicit. Why is a nun barging into a seedy Tokyo karaoke bar in the middle of the night to find a sleazy naked man smoking meth? Because that man is Jesus. And Sister Maria needs him to help her and Satan stop humanity's mythological gods from fucking up the earth. <laughs> There is a growing stable of badass Jesus comic books. It's become a little cottage industry in the comic book world. Yeah, it's like a, a genre. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Between Jesus Christ, Zombie Slayer, Battle Pope, and this. Man, they're all fun. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to uh, I talked to Daniel Marino, or Daniel Marino. I talked to Nick Marino a little bit via email. Super nice dude. Okay. Excited to review this on the show. I about Dan Marino, quarterback of the... Miami Dolphins. Legendary quarterback of the undefeated Miami Dolphins. Star of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, Dan Marino. Well-known drunk, Dan Marino. Oh. It's true. The THN trade of the week goes to March book two. Man, I didn't even know you were going for a Martin Luther King theme when I picked this. This is a good Hey, we're on the same level here. This book is from IDW slash Top Shelf, a story that we recorded for last week's show, but cut for time. True. <laughs> Written by Congressman John Lewis and Andrew Aiden with art by Nate Powell. Here's your solicit. Congressman John Lewis, an American icon and one of the key figures of the civil rights movement, continues his award-winning graphic novel trilogy with co-writer Andrew Aiden and artist Nate Powell. After the success of the Nashville sit-in movement, Lewis's commitment to social change through nonviolence is stronger than ever. But as he and his fellow freedom writers board a bus into the vicious heart of the Deep South, they will be tested like never before. Their courage will attract the notice of powerful allies and once Lewis is elected chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, he'll find himself helping to lead the greatest demonstration in American history, the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Super excited about this. I did not read March uh, Volume 1. I need to read that really it's badly. It's amazing. They're supposed to be just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I th I'm really happy that this is coming out. After you've finished researching the best way to dispatch a horny cloud giant, let us know what you're excited to read next week over at the THN forums. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Guess I mean we're doing good things. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is radio station WTHN. We're taking calls on the Ziggurat Hotline from B-List Avengers about to get movies. 
Hello? I wear a suit that makes me grow smaller. Sometimes I get taller. I've got mad love for my dead giant daughter. I was an Avenger. Yeah, that team with the Hulk and a guy named T'Challa. The T'Challa line kills me every time. That was excellent. The comic pushers are in the house! And they're moving highly addictive comics to nerd junkies quivering in the streets. This month, a shirtless sweatpants wearing skeever who wishes to remain anonymous writes via email, Dear comic pushers, after watching the Ant-Man trailer that hit the web last week, I realized I don't think I've ever read any Scott Lang stories. I've read some Hank Pym, but never really felt attached to the character, but I'm willing to give this new, question mark, Ant-Man, a chance. So how about a few of Scott Lang's greatest hits? Sincerely, please don't read my name on the air, because I don't want to look dumb in front of the comic nerd Illuminati. I have good news for you, Anonymous. They don't listen to this show. Also, it's the internet. Nobody knows who you are anyway. It's true. It's true. Let's talk about it, though. This is, uh, this is something I didn't think about. But a lot of people don't know much about Scott Lang. We take stuff like this for granted because we're reading crap all the time. The opportunities to enjoy Scott Lang solo stories are probably... Few and far between. Few and far between to be kind of generous. But the dude's been around since the late 70s. You know what? I didn't even know that. Yeah. So 1979. For some reason, I thought Lang was a product of the last 10 years. No, sir. But that's really where he's kind of popped up and, and sort of gained some traction, right? Well, sure. Um, but so that's where we'll start. Scott Lang first appeared in the pages of Avengers 181, 1979, written by David Michelinie with art by John Byrne. They created him. They created him. He was a criminal. And then he became Ant-Man in a story in Marvel premiere, Marvel premiere number 47, also in 1979, the very next month, as a matter of fact, as that Avengers issue. Wow. There must uh, have been an outcry. Uh, by the same creators. So they kind of shepherded him from uh, this character that was a criminal, uh, He, but he was like a good-natured criminal that was only stealing to provide for his family, and you he, know. Did he steal the Ant-Man costume back then? Is that how he became Ant-Man? I believe he had to steal the costume in order to save his daughter. Uh, she was uh, sick with a heart condition. He stole the Ant-Man suit to rescue her doctor from a supervillain, Darren Cross, who is going to be in the Ant-Man movie as Yellow Jacket. So they're sticking pretty well. I was no, going to say no, they're no, sticking no, no. close to the origin. They're, but. they're not, but I mean, they're using a lot of the same... Not the movie origin, but the origin of Scott Lang that we know now in the comics is still pretty much the same. Um, he stole the costume. Hank let him keep it. Yeah, I mean, he proved himself as a hero, and he became ultimately became an Avenger and a member of the Fantastic Four. Proved et cetera, et cetera. himself a hero by stealing. So there you go, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie origin seems to be a lot different. It looks like Hank Pym chooses right Scott as like a successor for, as a successor. Yeah, that's how that's how it's looking. But from his early appearances, he moved on. Uh, he had a lot of appearances in. Um, my, more minor appearances here and there in the pages of Avengers. He was in uh, that classic storyline under siege, which uh, was an eighties Avengers story where Baron Zemo and the masters of evil take over Avengers mansion. Never read that. It's awesome. Who wrote that? Roger Stern. Okay. Good stuff. And uh, Steve Epting did the art, a uh, younger Steve Epting. Oh. Yeah. It's really great. From there in the nineties, Scott Lang joined the fantastic four for the first time during a time where, Mr. Fantastic was presumed dead, 
And so he was on this team with uh, Invisible Woman, and I think Namor was uh, hanging out there as well at the time. Figures, because the second Mr. Fantastic died, Namor moved right in. I'll tell you what, he's like Pepe Le Pew. (laughs) Then he had a a stint on the short-lived Heroes for Hire book, uh, the Heroes for Hire revival, the first one. In the 90s, where it was drawn by Pasquale Ferry. Like, that was the first time I ever saw Pasquale Ferry. And Hercules was on the team, and Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and uh, a a new version of the White Tiger. I loved that book. But where he really kind of gained prominence, I would say, was during uh, his run on the Avengers in the 2000s, specifically during the Jeff Johns run. He I did. didn't realize it was Scott Lang. I thought that was Pim. No, Hank Pym, he was on the team as Giant Man during the Kurt okay. Busiek run. That's right. Okay. And then he went back to being Yellow Jacket. Yeah. But that was kind of a complex story because I think it was like a doppelganger or something. Anyway. Hey, oh. Jeff, uh, Scott Lang joined as Ant Man during the Jeff Johns run. And there were some great scenes uh, where Hank Pym constantly butting heads with Jack of Hearts. Because Scott thought Jack was this kind of slacker hero that didn't really take it too seriously and, uh, you know, maybe wasn't worthy of being with the Avengers. He does look like a walking slot machine. He does look like a walking slot machine. And they just happen to have playing cards in space, I guess. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, no, Jack of Hearts is from Earth. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, he just became a space character later. Yeah, he kind of ended up in uh, after his first appearance, he was bumming around space. Okay. Because he's got kind of cosmic-y powers. Hey. But it was kind of a a Hawkman Green Arrow kind of relationship. Oh, you know, I didn't know that. Where they were teammates, but they kind of hated each other. Okay. But eventually, Scott grew to respect Jack of Hearts because Jack sacrificed his own life to save Scott Lang's daughter. And we haven't seen Jack since, have we? Well, Jack made a comeback. Uh, well, Jack died. Right. In that story. He exploded. Right. Because Jack of Hearts' whole deal is that his cosmic powers were consuming him and he had to spend like 12 hours a day in this special room that diffused him. I remember that. But he spent too much time out of the room helping Scott find his daughter and save her from this kidnapper. And his butt turned inside out. That he had to fly into space and detonate. Yep. So yeah, but that's another installment of the comic pushers space but turned space inside out <laughs> that that's that's for the comic pushers question about jack of hearts <laughs> there we go there coming we go. uh next month <laughs> but yeah that's a that for me was a great time for scott's character that jeff johns run because uh you know that was just more of the jeff johns that we talk about really great with character interaction and interpersonal stuff definitely and he really did a good job building up that character uh not too long after that, unfortunately, uh, Bendis killed off Scott Lang in Avengers Disassembled when the Scarlet Witch caused a zombified Jack of Hearts to come back and explode she outside is, of Avengers Mansion. He's just like, she is just always causing problems. Like, it's I, true. Nobody should want her around ever. <laughs> you know, Scott Lang was resurrected in Avengers The Children's Crusade by Alan Heinberg and Jimmy Chung. So good. When it was so good. Essentially... Iron Lad and the Young Avengers rescued uh, rescued Scott Lang from the moment of his death and then brought him forward in time. So it didn't mess up the timeline because as far as everyone else was concerned, he died. I would also say that if you want to go for the Scott Lang that they're sort of modeling the movie after, 
you could start with a children's crusade. That's kind of the first real modern sort of Scott Lang character rebirth, if you will. Sure. I mean, from there he goes immediately into FF yeah. by Matt Fraction and Mike Allred. Which was wonderful. And I, I like that as well. I, I feel like the version of Scott Lang that they're going for from the movie has not really been seen in many, many years. The, 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 the Scott fair. Lang that was a thief. That's fair. Because so, Scott Lang in the FF, in Fractions FF, was very capable. He was well, intelligent. He was capable. He was good with the kids. Well, and he was also like mourning his dead daughter. Like the yeah. first story arc is about him plotting to kill Dr. Doom. It was great. Yeah, I love that book. And he kicked Dr. Doom's ass. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> but spares his life <laughs> yes. because he's, he's Ant-Man. I feel like that was probably the last great Scott Lang story uh, until the most recent launch of his series. He was in Original Sin. Who cares? Yeah. He was a very minor part of Original Sin. Yeah. Uh, he got to dig giant bullets out of the Watcher's <laughs> brain or whatever. That was something. <laughs> I feel like the movie version of of Scott Lang might be taking a little bit from the irredeemable Ant-Man, which was a different character altogether. That that character, Eric O'Grady, was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but a terrible S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Wasn't that Phil uh, Hester? Created Phil him? Hester did the art on that series. Uh, not, Robert Kirkman. Is not getting a check for the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, Eric O'Grady... He kind of vanished. Is not yeah. I mean that character's gone. Or they kind of spun his character into Scott Lang a little bit. Well, in the comics, Scott Lang and Eric O'Grady are very very different. Right. Other than the other than the whole thing with where Eric O'Grady like straight up stole the Ant Man costume. Yeah. And then used it against the wishes of everyone involved. Which apparently the Ant Man costume is just laying around all over the place. Well, it was on the shield shield helicarrier, but Eric O'Grady was a shield agent. Right. So his job was to guard the Ant-Man suit and he just took it. Okay. But I, I want, I'm wondering if the movie is going to incorporate a little bit more of the thief aspect into the Scotland character, which has not been part of his character for since the eighties. We don't really know yet, but we reviewed the newest Ant-Man book on last week's show. And it does seem like in that book, he's talked about how he used to be a criminal and stuff like that. Right. And he stole things. So I have a feeling, yes, they're going to kind of incorporate that. Like, he's a superhero, but he's a screw-up, too. He's sort of like, what would happen to you or I if we ended up in this situation? I would probably know? not be great at it. Uh, none of us would. But, you know, <laughs> if you're a good guy, you'll get good at it. Or you'll die. But, yeah, if I were to recommend some great Scott Lang stories, those would be the ones. That run on Avengers by Jeff Johns and I think Olivier Coipel did the art. I believe you're right his original appearances in the late seventies Avengers and that Marvel preview story. Super awesome. John Byrne or seventies uh, and eighties. John Byrne. Amazing art. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then uh, children's crusade and the new a and FF and the new Ant-Man. And truthfully, the new Ant-Man book caught you up on pretty much everything you need to know about Scott Lang in the first 10 pages. Yeah, it's true. Other than those few stories that we mentioned, anytime you really see Scott Lang, uh, bopping around he's always kind of secondary yeah or even tertiary just this, kind of in the background of crowd scenes this is definitely his first big shot yeah i i would feel like i feel like that those were his major opportunities to shine as a character there you go anonymous scott lang's greatest hits and what you can do to catch up before the movie confuses you even more with a slightly different origin for the character hope we helped <laughs> And well, before the movie reuses the names of existing characters and then gives them completely different <laughs> right. histories. Right. 
If you are looking for a new comic series to ease your comic addiction, hit up the Comic Pushers. You can email us. You can tweet at us. You can even call us. Tell us what you're into, what you're looking for, and we will supply you with some highly addictive reads that will probably ruin the rest of your life. And don't be afraid to identify yourself. There are no judgments yeah, here. Yeah, come on, man. Seriously. Except I mean, for, I mean, we do judge you a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know who we're talking about. Yeah, you. Yeah. You. Yeah. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the MLK Memorial episode of THN. If you're not offended by two white nerds calling out white America in between comic book reviews, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners of all colors. Potential. It's back. It's back. Thank you to the latest sustaining donor, Zach Hollowell. That's two in two weeks. That's great. I love you guys. Seriously, keep up the good work. We love you for it. And if you want to give us cash instead of feeding your new baby like Zach does, you can do so by clicking our Deadbeat Dad PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring this poorly parented podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find all the links to our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. It's the only phone number you need to remember. It's the only phone number that exists. I don't know if that's true. Using this list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with an Ask a Nerd question or trivia. Or you can defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment. Or... You can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, painted with baby food, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up with Peach and Forums, guys and girls. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can pick your racist Oscar winners, or you can just rap about this week's comic. I mean, it's not racist if Selma wins Best Picture. I mean, I guess not. But if that's the only word who wins, that's kind of stupid. It's up for Best Picture, but not Best Director. It's up for Best Picture, but not Best Cinematography. None of the actors are up for anything. What sense does that make? It's up for Best Picture, but not Best Sound Design. I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. It is the best show on the internet. It is the only podcast on iTunes. It is so much better than this show. But if you need more, that's because we don't have to work as exactly. hard. Exactly. We don't have to try so hard to be funny. You don't have to do shit. But if you need more Two-Headed Nerd in your life right now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out our regular assortment of features, Nerd TV. Charlie Tron, Book Report, Ludicrous Speed Reviews, we got Saturday, Saturday Morning, morning cartoons. cartoons, Goof Troop. Goof Troop, you guys. <laughs> goof Troop. I believe we're the only two people who will say the words goof and troop back to back on the planet today. I would take that bet. No one else is talking about Goof Troop. <laughs> I, I would not take that bet. <laughs> Next week, we're reviewing Black Sad Amarillo. When we play, take a look. It's in a book before we go. Our weekly shout-out goes to the Bobbies of jolly old England who arrested one of the dangerous terrorists calling themselves the Lizard Squad, who were responsible for crashing both the Xbox and PlayStation networks over Christmas. Sons of bitches! Word to you boys for getting these dangerous cyber terrorists off the streets. And until next time, hip hip to you boys, <laughs> true believers. 
Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer might just kiss you on the mouth for it, especially if you don't have a cold anymore. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. We've been kissing all morning. Ooh.